Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our King. Our call to worship this morning as we begin our time together in the Lord is the 8th Psalm. It is written to the chief musician upon Giddeth, a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth, who has set Thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou madest him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let us pray. Our God and Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, O Ancient of Days, God, we thank You that You have called us as Your children to gather here today, that we have the privilege and the opportunity to be called to worship You, for You are completely and utterly worthy of all that we can offer or bring to You today, Lord. We come humbly because we cannot bring anywhere near what You deserve, but Lord, You have taken us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we're so grateful to be loyal subjects of Your kingdom. We're so thankful to be called the children of God. And so we are. Lord, may our worship today be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight. You are our rock, our refuge, our shield and buckler, our strong Redeemer. We pray all these things, Lord, as we enter into our worship of You now. In Jesus' name, Amen.
going to reread a little bit of the text that we were just looking at. For Hebrews 2 and 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation, substitution, payment for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, that we get the opportunity that you have condescended to us to give us an opportunity to be part of your circle, to be part of what you do. And I pray, Lord, that your word would be embedded in our hearts today and that would produce meditations that carry on ad infinitum, that would mold and help shape our hearts to be conformed to the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me say a couple things. I love the robust liturgy here. Um, And in fact, let, let me say something. For me, theology is intimate. I have a good friend who's got a master's in theology, and he calls me a theology wonk. But for me, theology is intimate. Oh, you may be seated. And I'll get to that in a second, too. <laughs> so I get the opportunity, okay? What I mean by that is when I'm in this circle, theology is both the Word of Scripture, the Word of God is both prophetic and intimate. Because, listen, I'm not here just so I can be a professional speaker or just to get up here and do a good job. That's distasteful to me. I'm here to bring the Scripture to people that I know and love because it's meaningful, it means something, it's impactful. It's going to penetrate your heart like it penetrated my heart. I'm not just speaking to some guy that I don't know right now. I'm speaking to people I get to know and meet. I got to stay at the Hatfields last night and I got to meet their wonderful children that I have never got a chance to really meet well. And I'm, I'm saying, well, Mark gets to do this every week. And he knows all these little children. And what a passionate, wonderful opportunity it is to just take the Scripture and deliver it to the people you know and love. This is the heart of communal worship. You know, I don't come from this background. There's people today that have not come from this background. Mark didn't come from this background. And to grasp the concept of communal worship. Yeah, I do this with my family at home. It, it absolutely can bring me to tears. Did I get the opportunity? Do we understand that? God condescended so we would have, we could join him in the dance. And I get to sit in my living room and minister Jesus Christ to my wife and my daughter. What a wonderful thing. What a beautiful thing. It's amazing. It's amazing that we get to join with our Savior and minister to the people we love. You know, when you feed your children food, it's intimate. You know that? The spoon is just a hunk of silver. But when that, sp- that spoon gets in your hand and you do this and you feed it to your little baby, now it's intimate. 
Isn't that amazing? That little baby chair was just something you bought at Walmart or wherever you bought it from. I, I never bought one at Walmart, but... Uh, uh, you know, that's just a chair, but when your baby sits in it or your child sits in that chair at the table and you're feeding them something, now that's Johnny's chair. And if for some sad tragedy you will lose that child in a tragedy, all of a sudden that chair would be sacred territory. You would never throw it away. You would keep it long past its time. You'd store, you might even... <laughs> Make a little sanctuary for it. That's, that's what I get the opportunity. You know, I told the deacons and the elders when we were, they asked me what I'm teaching on today. I said, well, this is what I'm teaching on, and I can't wait to do it. I, I, I just couldn't wait to get into this text today and demonstrate who Jesus Christ is at this facet of the diamond so that we could all glorify him more, appreciate him more, and appropriate him more. Because he is the glue. He is the glue. I like what Michael Horton says. We're not all in this church today because we're all good friends. We're not all here because one day I met Andy at a coffee shop, and I'm a contractor, and he's a bank vice president, and we had so much in common. (laughs) And that's why we're in church together today. Isn't it great? And now we all get along. That's not the idea. Jesus Christ said... I'm going to make all of you people my children, and I'm going to put you in a group together. Now get along. Learn to love one another. So when I come to church, and we get the chance to have corporate worship, this is not a rote scenario for me. It's some learning to do. I come here, and I don't know your liturgy. I, you know, Every church has the, the same stencil, and a little bit different application. And it kind of, it's kind of awkward, you know. It's like when you go visit someone's house and you stay at their house. You, you don't really know what, like, like, where's the silverware and how to get from point A to B. And, oh, oh yeah, that's your procedure in this house. You know, it's a little awkward. You've got to figure out the rhythm of what's going on in that house. But once you get it, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, now I know where the silverware is. I know the bathroom's at the end of the hall. I know that Mrs. Jones likes her towels just so. So I'm going to do it just like that. All right, And so that's why when you visit churches, different churches, it's a little awkward. But that's okay, that's normal. You know what that tells you? It tells you you just walked into someone's family and you're learning the rhythm of how Christ works in that circumstance. And it's beautiful. It's not awkward and cumbersome. It's beautiful and you just have to learn it. You know, we got to learn a song, we need to read the words. We want to learn the foundation church, we have to hang around. We have to be a part of the process. And we get to partake in something beautiful. So when I come to church on a Sunday, I was just having coffee with someone the other day, kind of sharing this. It's not that I'm coming and I'm learning this song and I'm going through point A on the liturgy and I'm skipping to point B now. It's that I get together with all the people that I've been getting together with for the last two years or however many years. The people that I've been learning... Church is not some individualistic process where we come, do our two hours, and leave. Y'all should be getting to know each other. I know that happens in this church. But church is about a community of people so that when we come together on a Sunday, I get to pray with Johnny. I get to sing about my Lord together with my brothers and sisters, like real brothers and sisters, because we're all in the same family now, you see. 
We're not just friends. We're brothers and sisters. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. And it's an opportunity to... So now I get to share and do all these beautiful things with all the people that I'm learning to love. (laughs) And after a while, it's pretty strong. It's like cement. It's like glue. When someone's missing from your congregation, you should feel it. You should know it. I mean, I, I, I always come here and stay at the Robinettes. And today I'm sitting in the pew and I'm sitting there going, well, where's Benjamin and Nathaniel? And where's the other boys? And uh, they're in Myanmar. And my wife's been in Honduras for the last week. I left on Saturday. She came in Saturday night. Still haven't seen her yet. Can't wait to get back and see my family and get into the rhythm of life that we have established, that we're learning to get better at. There's only two families in the universe. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of this world. Okay, so I'm doing this series back home. And we're using a creed. I do the Sunday school senior adult class. And where um, <clears throat> the elders are asking me, what are we going to teach on this year? And I said, well, I'm just going to take the creed as a stencil, as a basic systematic theology. It's the first one ever that I can think of that was ever formally made. Maybe I'm not educated enough, but that's the one I'm aware of. I, I prefer the Nicene Creed because it's a little more full and complete. But, uh, and I say, we're just going to go through it, and we're just going to talk about the Father, the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth. And that's what we did last fall. And around the Reformation period, I kind of took a detour, because we need to understand why we're not Roman Catholic. That's what this issue here is about. You're either Roman Catholic, you're either semi-Pelagian or Pelagian, or you're not. So here we are, and it's springtime, and it's time to talk about the sun. For I believe in the Father, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. And the Son, who was not created, but begotten. And so it's been a joy. You know, I like what John MacArthur said. He taught a series on the birth of Christ. And he said, you know, I didn't want to say too much because this is the first time I've ever taught this series. And he was telling us he's learning it as he's teaching it. And that's what happens when you do that. And so it's been a joy to teach on the Son, because personally, it's an intimidating subject. Jesus Christ is a huge subject. You know, uh, Andy referred to it earlier. It's not sufficient that he just died for us. He had to live for us. We call that the active obedience of Christ. See, if he just came and died and that was sufficient... He would not fulfill the law for us in a lifetime. I'm going to get into this a little bit more today. But here's the point. There's two families. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of this earth, the world. There's the sons of Cain and there's the sons of Seth. And so Jesus is a real man with a real genealogy. He's got cousins. He's got aunts and uncles. He has a better knowledge of his family tree than you and I do. We have to Google it online, pay 25 bucks, and then hopefully we can go back a few hundred years. Jesus got a a real genealogy. So if I said, who's your great-great-great-great-grandfather? You probably don't know. But Jesus knows. Okay, so what's the point? It's that Jesus... Okay, because... Okay. Here we sit in the 21st century... And we look back and we see Superman. We see Jesus with an S on his chest. 
raising people from the dead, confronting the Pharisees, doing miracles, being very wise and reading people's hearts. We would call that discernment. But that's not who they saw. That's not who they saw at all. They saw the carpenter's son, the guy that lives over the hill. He builds those funny chairs. I'm pulling out of the movie The Passion. (laughs) The ones with the long legs. Anyways, that's who they see, Jesus says. They don't see the divine. All we see from our perspective is the divine. We're used to it. It's our rhythm. It's our paradigm. It's what we're used to. How can you not? How can you not avoid the obvious, the resurrection, raising people from the dead, raising Lazarus, healing the lepers? That's what you see. It's the glaring, obvious road sign. But you know, that's, those are just things Jesus did. Jesus says, I didn't do anything unless the Father showed me. Listen, Jesus lived on a need-to-know basis. Jesus doesn't walk the earth knowing everything. Jesus walks the earth knowing what his Father tells him. And when he does that, he must now live by faith. Right? Like the Reformers eloquently said, we understand faith to be in three categories. Ascensu, that means mental ascent. Notitia, that is an ascent to the note, the facts of the case. And that's what James says. Even the devil has that. He has the facts and he has the mental ascent. But he doesn't have the third part, fiducia, trust. You know, Jesus had to walk trusting his heavenly Father. Just like you. Can you imagine that? Have you ever thought of that? Jesus walked by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You don't, you don't think Jesus has to, what do you think, he sidesteps that? Don't you think Jesus has to walk this earth trusting his heavenly Father? Of course he does. Well, when are you coming back, Jesus? Well, I don't know. Only, Jesus, only the Father in heaven knows that. That's privy information he hasn't told me. So I'm just going to trust him. Right? Didn't Jesus walk as a man on this earth just like you and I? Didn't he have to go through struggles just like you and I? Didn't he have to face trials, temptations, and tribulations just like you and I? And how did he face it? Did he just say, I got this. I'm actually God. You know, I remember a long time ago when I first came around and converted, I used to think, well, yeah, Jesus died for us and he paid a price, but he knew he was going to be raised from the dead. It's not like like how we have to live. Well, that's not true. I mean, all that's true. But don't be fooled by that paradigm. Let let me say this. How about if I choose one of these children today and say, why don't you just sacrifice him for all those people who live over there? It's okay. He's coming back from the dead in about three days. Oh, we're going to persecute him first and beat him up and ridicule him for his whole life. But no big deal. He's coming back from the dead. How would you feel about that? Who wants to volunteer? Anybody? Not so easy, is it? You're telling me Jesus didn't have feelings? Jesus wept. You're telling me he didn't suffer pain, persecution, ridicule? Sure he did, just like you and me. 
Jesus was a human being. It almost sounds counterintuitive to even say that. Jesus was a human being. He was a he was every bit as a human being as you and I, and then so. And so the correct understanding is that the scripture says, it says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, or else he'd have become an angel. And he'd have been floating above the atmosphere saying, ooh, like they did when Jesus came in the incarnation. What were angels doing? Eating corn? No, they were floating in the atmosphere, up in the sky, being glorious creatures, emanating the glory of God. Jesus didn't become like that. That's not what the scripture says. It says, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Now, so that means, I'm going to say this, the family of Christ, the children of Abraham, that would be you and me, that would be all those who are of faith, are miracle babies. Is there anybody? Okay, so... I had it in mind to turn to a lot of scriptures, but that can be cumbersome, so if you don't mind me quoting some scriptures and such. <clears throat> so, the scripture says that Abraham, who is as good as dead, produced seed through his wife, and they made offspring. They did what was impossible. Like what Galatians says, we're children of a promise, not children of something we did and manufactured. It's not possible. It says without trust, without faith, without doing something that you can't do, it is impossible to please God. God is the initiator. God is the one that makes the miracle. Not you. Listen, everybody who's born in the household of faith is born by miracle. So when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and said, well, how must I be born again? What does Jesus say? He says, well, look, there's a three-step program we go through. In fact, I have a chick track for you if you'd like. And there's four questions you answer. You raise your hand and you say yes. And now you're born again. Is that what Jesus said? I'm purposely facetious there. What, does anybody remember exactly what Jesus says when he answers the question directly, how must I be born again? Does anybody remember? He says, well, you know, that's kind of complicated. It's like the wind. You can't predict it. It comes and goes when it wants. Go outside right now and tell me when the wind is going to shift. You can't do it. You are a miracle baby. It happens because not the will of man, it says in John 1, but by the will of God. And I'm not going to get into a big soteriological discussion here. I'm just going to prophetically proclaim what the text says. We can have the discussion at lunch today, after church, which I'm looking forward to. We're miracle babies. Now, that's kind of one of the DNA markers of the family of Christ. Does anybody know anybody who has a who anybody else significant in the Bible who's a miracle baby you can think of? That's that's supposed to be an easy answer question. I think his name is Jesus Christ. 
Was he not a miracle baby? How was he born? Oh, of a virgin. Have you seen that lately? Can you make that happen? No, that has to happen only one way, through the divine. That only happens from God. There's only one way into this kingdom, and it's through miracle. He was made in every respect like his brothers, so that we could partake in that. There's no obfuscation by the Son through this process. He's getting right down in there with us from square one and going the whole distance. So I am going to go to Hebrews chapter 11. We're all familiar with Hebrews chapter 11. Incidentally, this is the first time I've ever used an electronic Bible. It seems to be working out. I had this big heavyweight back here in case. So, I've been teaching that there's certain DNA markers that distinguish us from the world. And I'll tell you, one thing that's very clear between the the two kingdoms, we're living by faith and we're walking counterflow. If you're going to live for Christ... And I, I want to get away from the whole decision. Man, I've made a decision to live for Christ. Let me tell you, when you're born by miracle, you ain't got an option. Oh, you have choices to make. But you'll be denying your nature. It would be like saying, uh, if your favorite pie was banana cream pie and the pie's right there, you're a banana cream pie person, Right? So we're all banana cream pie people here today, right? And then someone says, have lemon meringue. And you're like, okay. I really want the banana cream pie. It's right there. I hate lemon meringue pie. Hey, you're in the family. You can try all you want. Sooner or later, you're coming back to banana cream pie. Because it's delicious. (laughs) Jesus Christ has infected you with him. Jesus Christ has has put himself, that's what C.S. Lewis calls it, the good infection. You've been infected with Christ, and I'm sorry, but you win it to win it now. In fact, I dare you to walk away. Because if you can walk away, as John says, you were never part of the family. You were just kind of slunking in the back gate, seeing if you could get some of the grubs. And besides, that bed was very comfortable too. You know, there's a guy, he tries to get into a wedding in the scripture, in a parable, and uh, he doesn't have the wedding clothes. See, he doesn't have the DNA marker. He tries to get in, they say, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, where are you going? He says, well, I'm going in the wedding. (laughs) It's a free bar. There's a lot of good food in there. Good dancing, I love it. And they say, well, you don't have your wedding clothes on. You have to move along. You're not allowed in. Okay, so we have DNA markers. Well, the world has a DNA marker too. And you know what their marker is? Do what you want and hate everybody who doesn't do it with you. The kingdom of darkness does not like you. So when you live for Christ, and when they do like you, it's because God is being gracious to you. When you live for Christ, you're going counterflow. 
It's like, all I can think of is like, just imagine you're in a river and there's debris everywhere. If you swim this way, the debris won't hurt you. If you swim that way, you'll be pelted and contraired all the way home. And so in, in Matthew 23, he says to the Pharisees, they say, you know, if we were back then, we wouldn't persecute the prophets like our fathers did. And Jesus says, you just condemned yourself. Because your fathers killed the prophets. Your fathers. If you, and he says in John chapter 8, if you were a son of Abraham, you would love me. But because you're not, you hate me. You're like your father, the devil, who when he speaks his native language, he's lying. That's who you are. Now, as we all know, Paul says in, in, in Romans... Not everybody who is a Jew is a Jew. It's only the ones that are miracle babies with the DNA marker that says, oh, you're a son of Abraham. You know how I know, Jesus says, because you love me, you hear my voice. You know, Jesus has to walk around and discern circumstances. Sure, Jesus walked full of the Holy Ghost, absent from sin. Could he do better than we could? Yeah. Was his discernment level better? I would think so. Was God showing him more than he shows the average guy? I think so. But he was still on a need-to-know basis. He had to walk every day of his life trusting the Father upstream. So if we go with... The, 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 it says, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. See, all he's doing is pleasing God. But next to Abe, Cain, he's going upstream. And Cain don't like it. So he wants to kill him. And he does. How about Noah? God says, see, that's all we're doing, guys. We're just following the Lord by faith, by trust. Let's use the word trust as a synonym here, by fiducia. We believe God. We have this tuning fork in us that, that when the tuning fork of Christ is struck, we go, oh, I know that voice. Yeah, I know that voice. And like I said, I'm not making a big soteriological class here today. I'm just going to proclaim the scripture. We can talk about that at lunch. Well, there's a tuning fork that when it hits, we go, oh, yeah. And Noah had that. That's what Noah had. And he hears the Lord tell him to build a boat. A big boat for 120 years. How do you think that sat with the neighborhood? I mean, don't you think they're thinking he's a whack? He's kind of a nutcase, a little bit fruity. But, but he's a good guy and it's good business. We'll sell him a lot of wood. Yeah, this will be good. This will be fun. This is kind of amusing. So he puts up with a lot of baloney. And you know, you understand now his wife and his children are in on it. Well, Dad, I love you, but are you sure about this? For 120 years. I'm sure he faced persecution. Now, he was rewarded with a yacht that floated when it rained. All right? But nonetheless, he was upstream. Right? It says, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. What a lunatic. The saving of your household. What? 
By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes only by faith. Only by trust. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place to receive an inheritance. How do you like that? So here I am in earth, things are going good, the corn's doing well. Uh, Honey, we're moving. Any wives out there? Hey, honey, we're moving. Oh, really, where? I'm not sure. (laughs) Now, was that an easy faith decision? Or was he going to get a little blowback on that, maybe? Maybe. I mean, we don't know where Sarah was with all this, but we'll just say she was a normal human being and just wanted to know where. Right? That's a little rough. Well, we're just going that way. Go west, young man. We're just going that way somewhere. It says they lived in tents all their lives. And she's thinking, when are we going to settle down? When are we going to plant our roots? Uh, Any women here can relate to that? When are we going to build that nice little house and finally get cozy? Not so easy. Then, and and she said, he says, oh, but honey, it's going to be great. God's going to bless us. He said, we're going to have a, a family like you wouldn't believe. Our family's going to be so big, it's going to be like the stars of the universe. Honey, it's going to be great. Tick tock, tick tock. Time's a moving. Ain't no babies coming. Man, we, we left my family, my relatives, home, and we came all the way out here. But I'm going to say at this point, she's past that. But he's, he's told her what God told her. And so they come up with plan B. Well, the baby's not coming. Let's do it ourselves. Is that a miracle baby, by the way? Nothing miraculous about that happens every day. The children of Cain do it all the time. They make babies. Y'all make babies. But we need a miracle baby, or it's not God doing the work, is it? So God limits that. They try to fulfill the word of God through the flesh, and they create Hagar, Ishmael, and centuries of problems. And God says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, that would be Abraham, were born descendants. You know, I think about that a little bit, if we could understand this from an adult perspective in the room today. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. I mean, what does that mean in reality? By faith, she received power to... What do you mean, by faith she received power to conceive? I mean, she, you know, conception isn't something you do. You know, you don't say, well, me and my wife are trying to have a baby. So today we found that spinning three times in the kitchen with an egg on my forehead helped the process. And now we're going to conceive. Conception is something that happens internally that you have no control over. And it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Well, you know, to conceive you kind of got to, you know... Things have to work out right, and you're 90 years old, and, and, and the hubby's kind of looking at you with that look in his eye. And, hey, what are you on, drugs? You know? But by faith. You know, normally she's going to say, pitchfork. Wow, my husband has lost his nutcase. Crazy. But by faith, 
Sarah received power to conceive. It's kind of amazing, really. I mean, we look past we look past the human element in these stories. These are not just stories. These are things that happen. I mean, you've got to get into it and go, wow, they were old people. What came upon them? <laughs> I guess God reopened the pituitary gland. I don't know. But by faith, they said, this must be the Lord. And bingo, we get Isaac. Okay, we'll go with one more guy here who has to go upstream. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now, by the way, his parents just made an upstream decision. They just went against the grain. King says no, and they say, we believe God, yes. And they hide Moses. And it says, by faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. By faith, by trust, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So, DNA marker here time. The righteous live by faith. The righteous live upstream. The righteous make decisions that people look around and think are funny. You know, uh, uh, well, it says that by faith, uh, Joseph tells them, tells them to send his bones back to, to, the, to Canaan land. Now, why would he do that? And why is that even mentioned in there? What's the big deal? Because Joseph understands that the palace is not the reward. Don't teach your children from the prison to the palace like the palace is the reward. That's not how Joseph saw it. Joseph saw the reward. It's over there in Canaan. It's promise. Bring my bones back to Canaan. I want to make a statement about Canaan. Bring them back. I don't want to be remembered as an Egyptian. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, I live in Baton Rouge, but I'm from Boston. I do. I just, I always do. Because uh, when I say I live in Baton Rouge, they're thinking I'm some guy who's from Louisiana, and I'm not. Which I am now, but that doesn't tell anything about, like, who I am. Especially when you start hearing me talk, right? I, I'm not from Baton Rouge. I just live there. Joseph is saying, I'm not from Egypt. The palace is nice, but it's not my home. And it says, it says that, um, that Jacob speaks to the sons of Joseph by faith. That's, that's just very out of character. He's supposed, to be going, he's supposed to be going to the firstborn. It says Jacob blessed, was blessed first by Isaac. That's out of order. That's not the way it's done, Isaac. But then again, the people of God don't do things the way it's done, is it? We're, we're contraire. Actually, we're in line. It's them that's contrarian. It's Cain's seed that is contrarian to the will of God, not us. It just looks like it. Actually, we're flowing downstream. 
We're flowing by the grace of God downstream. And though it seems difficult now, we got a yacht. We have a mansion. We have blessings to look forward to. It's downstream. And the better you see that, the easier, I, I say easier, to believe. I didn't say more comfortable. This is a conscious decision we make when we follow Christ. You know, there's that. We know we serve a lion. We just know he's not a tame lion. And so we do these with fear and intrepidation sometimes. Even Jesus. Oh, did that happen to Jesus? I think I remember him sweating blood over something he knew for a fact. How did he know it for a fact? By faith. He just trusted what the Lord told him. He says, Lord, is there any other way? You understand he's a human being at that moment? I'm not going to get into the whole Chalcedon thing. I I affirm Chalcedon 100 million percent. And it's a mystery. Jesus is all God and all man all at the same time. But Jesus in his humanity had to occur as a human being or he's not sufficient to save us. And he must be divine or he would not be able to do what he had to do as a human being. Wouldn't work. So Jesus is in the garden and says, Lord, not my will, but your will. In other words, like nobody wanted to volunteer one of your children today, if he could help it, he would love to do it a different way. You understand, Jesus had to take upon a curse, and he knew it. I think he knew it. Who would want to go drink sewer water? Who would want to drink sewer water? Anybody? Any volunteers today? Because that's what Jesus sees. Jesus sees that cross, and he sees sewer water. What righteous man who loves God intimately would want to go dip in that pool. None. We would expect Jesus to say, Oh, Father, is there another way? Is there any other way we can do this? But he's speaking as a man now who's trusting his Holy Father in love and in intimate relationship. And he says, Not my will, Father, but thine. And the Scripture says Jesus was tempted in all things, yet did not sin. That's what we're talking about. Uh, uh, that's what we're talking about. And so like when Peter says that when Christ suffered in the same way, you get to suffer too. You know, you said it today, Andy, that the, the, the people of God go through suffering. That's why I used in my Old Testament scripture today, Isaiah 53. That's a good text. Because it tells us what Jesus didn't get. You know, I quoted out of um, John chapter 8 today. They were saying, hey, we're sons of Abraham. What are you going to set us free from? He says, no, you're not sons of Abraham. And he says, they say, well, uh, let me go. So I don't misquote scripture. Forgive me, electronic devices. Well, we're going to have to call that a fail on my communication through an electronic device. <laughs> Point is, we have to walk just like Christ walked. He had to walk just like we walk. 
we're all in the same family, same genetic markers, same process. You know, and I, and I made that point, I'm teaching this series at home with my, my home church. And I, that's what I wanted them to get. I wanted to get it real in them. That Jesus had to walk just like you. He didn't get to obfuscate. So, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 4. This won't be a fail. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest. We're in 4 and 14, for anybody who needs a reference. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us draw then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I I just need Jesus Christ. Uh, I've come to learn to understand in this process that I really respect Jesus. Like, that seems like a no-brainer, like a dur thing to say, because all we see is Superman. It's pretty hard not to respect Superman who can stop a speeding bullet, raise the dead, do all kinds of neat things. Can you, for a minute, just imagine Jesus is the carpenter around the corner, and through a course of a lifetime, you come to respect Him, honor Him, and even worship Him. Jesus Himself, as that man, said, Father, I'm doing it for them. You know how you help each other? You help each other in this church? Jesus did that like mondo. Jesus has done that in such a way for everybody. I do like that scene in The Passion that Mel Gibson read. Mary's watching Jesus walk, and He's being persecuted and whipped and beat. And, and they lock eyes for a minute. In fact, that kind of brings it home, doesn't it? Mary's watching her beautiful baby boy, who's been nothing but a good guy, get tortured and beat to death. That enough is pretty tough stuff. And Jesus looks up at her, and this is, of course, just artistic license, but he looks up at her in the movie and says, Mother, I'm making everything right. Man. What is that? I mean, that's a great line. Mother, I'm making everything right. I mean, that's what he was doing. That's what he's doing. I've come to understand and see, not that I'm special, but by listening to a lot of people beat this into my head, I'm learning to appreciate Jesus, the man who did it for me. It's a beautiful thing. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for sending your Son who took upon the robe of flesh and became a man so that we might become co-heirs and beneficiaries with Him in the family, that You would really become our Father through and through, that by adoption into this family we could enjoy the eternal bliss of being 
your sons and daughters and co-heirs and brothers with such a good and beautiful man known as Jesus Christ who you put on this earth to save us from our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for the complete picture you give us of yourself. And I pray that we could demonstrate that in the earth as we live out our lives being conformed into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.